I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and I am here with my co-host, the mental health comedian, Frank King. Hi, Frank. Good morning, Montana. <laughs> That's right. You're freezing your tush off in Montana oh, right man. now, aren't you? Billings, Montana, colder than a mother-in-law's love. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Very funny. Um, well, our guest today is Sergeant First Class Christopher McKinney. He's approaching his 18th year as an active duty service member, and he's also got a great podcast and does a lot of work around resiliency training. And I love the um, tagline on his podcast, Be a Golf Ball, Not an Egg. Christopher, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, I am too. So what made you think of uh, wanting to come on Mental Health News Radio? Well, I think mental health falls right in line with the the message that I'm trying to send across. What I'm trying to teach, obviously, is resiliency. Um, Resiliency and life resiliency. Right now, I'm kind of centering around sports, but resiliency in general um back in the so back in like the 70s resiliency started really becoming a a known word and then in the in the mid to late 90s early 2000s the word resiliency really started standing out and when i first heard the word resiliency i literally fell in love with it the ability to overcome the the ability to bounce back and that's really all i want to teach i want to get that word out there and I want to teach people how we can, the tools that we can use to bounce back from life setbacks, little setbacks to catastrophic major setbacks. Right. How, you, how um, does... Have, go ahead. You go ahead, Frank. Nope. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to ask, um, since we're talking about mental illness, do you, uh, Christopher, uh, may I call you Christopher? Or should I call you Sarge? Oh, you can call me Christopher by all means. <laughs> uh, Christopher, do you have a... Mi- do you have a mental illness or do you, uh, are you a fellow traveler? Well, okay. So that's honestly, that is the best thing. Um, learning resiliency did for me for many, many years. Uh, so long story short, I did suffer from PTSD and for many, many years, uh, I would refuse to believe it. 
I would have to, the army would have me go see mental health specialist. And I would say, look, I'm fine. Um, maybe I have a dream here or there, but I don't have PTSD. And I told that to myself. I told that to my coworkers. I told it to my family. I told everybody, look, I don't have PTSD, but I obviously, uh, I did. And I had it fairly bad. And just because I denied, 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 didn't make it go away. And then that's when I started learning resiliency. And I went through the army's resiliency training and I kind of really, um, it was an eye opener. I really kind of got in touch with that. And so I started seeing a mental health specialist and I said, I do, I think I do have PTSD. I don't think I know. And I've been trying to hide it for a long time and I'm ready to talk about this. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's misunderstood. I think PTSD is really misunderstood because people think once you have it, it doesn't go away. Um, but that's, that's really not true. You can have PTSD and you can continue to live a great life with these thoughts and memories. And that's what resiliency has really taught me. And that is what me teaching resiliency continues because the best way to learn is to teach. And me teaching resiliency continues to teach me that it's okay to have this and it's okay to live with it. Yeah, and I, I, I've had discussion with a number of neuronormal or neurotypical people about, um, you know, the uh, being cured of depression. And I said, no, it's not. It's not. I don't think there's a cure. And I've actually changed my language. I, I now say I no longer say I battle depression because battle implies I can win. Um, you know, uh, the best I think I can do is a sort of an uneasy piece like North and South Korea. I, I say I live with. As you said, you know, you can your life can improve. You can have a good life and live with this illness. So my question to you is, you lived a long time with PTSD, although you were, you did not admit it at the time. What what you must so you must have been doing something during that period that that you know there was some resilience there in that period. What are you doing differently or in addition now? What are what what other resiliency techniques are you using now that you've you know, admitted you have it and you're actively working on it. So the army has gotten really, really good at teaching resiliency. Um, and I really actually, I can't talk too much about the army's resiliency uh, just because it was designed by the university of Pennsylvania and purchased by the army. So I can't give really by name or in depth um, language, I guess I could say, but what I can sure. do is, what I can do is kind of normalize or kind of give a broad sense of it. So many things that the Army teaches in resiliency is understanding what is called um, icebergs. And many people refer to icebergs. The Army didn't make this one up. Uh, and icebergs are basically deep values and deep beliefs that we that we come across either from childhood uh, on up to major life altering events. So, of course, being in Iraq, you're going to have some some icebergs. And basically, like an iceberg, to give an example, would be um, people should treat everyone fair. That's a good iceberg. That would be a good iceberg to have, right? Uh, and you don't even really understand why you think that. You just think it. And so bad icebergs could stem from wartime and could stem from, you know, bad marriages and stuff like that. And so really, one of the things that the Army MRT teaches understanding these icebergs and, and teaching you how to dig deep inside and ask fact-finding questions 
to really understand what your icebergs are. And once you get those icebergs out, once you finally understand why you think a certain way, it's it's almost weight off your shoulders. Um, and the kind of the 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 problem with that is soldiers in general, a lot of times <laughs> they they don't want to be the person on the couch, so to speak, you know, because so we, we live in um in a very uh masculine heavy army. Uh you know, it's a lot of alpha males and we don't want to admit that we have problems and issues. Uh, but the ones that do, the ones that are okay with admitting it, are okay with digging inside and finding those icebergs. Because once you find them, it makes it so much easier to get them out and then live with that and talk about it and live life normal. Uh, question, because uh, some of the research I saw showed that uh, two deployments, not so large a chance of developing PTSD or thoughts of suicide, uh, more than two deployments. Uh, that's where the the breaking point seemed to be. Have you do you have any idea on the the impact um, on the of the number of deployments on the chance that someone would develop PTSD, depression, thoughts of suicide? So I think that would greatly depend on the length of deployments. Um, like so, for my my first deployment was twelve months. My second deployment was fourteen. Since they have shortened deployments to nine months, I think that. When you when you put a time frame on it or a deployment number on it, I think there's going to be a lot more to that than just saying, well, this person has two deployments. So he he or she will more likely have PTSD. Um, I think it really is going to depend on where you were deployed, how long the deployments were, um, your job while you were deployed. Uh, me personally, I'm a, I'm a tanker on the M1A1 Abrams tank and M1A1 or M1A2 Abrams tank. I'm now the tank commander of a tank, and so I, when I deploy, uh, of course, I'm what we call going outside the wire. I am leaving the base oh, yeah. uh, many times, uh, and so my job is is going to really put me in a place where I could potentially. Um, have PTSD and, and there are a lot of jobs like that and there are a lot of jobs um, who don't do that like but they could still get PTSD like if you're a cook and your base gets bombed or something like that you could still yeah. get PTSD so there's just that's a really hard question to answer because there's so many factors involved to it that makes sense that absolutely makes sense tell us about you know what you mean by a golf be a golf ball not an egg <laughs> so uh basically <laughs> when you so and something that i teach uh so what i do now is i go around and i talk to collegiate athletes about being more resilient and one of the ways that i i try and explain it is the golf ball and the egg if you throw an egg on the ground it's gonna break and then you're gonna have a mess to clean up and if you throw a golf ball on the ground what is it gonna do instead of break it's gonna bounce up and I always I feel like words have meaning. Uh, I never like to use the term bounce back, and I tell everyone this because why do I want to bounce back? Back there is where I came from. I want to move forward. I want to bounce up. I want to bounce forward. And so we want to be the golf ball. We want to be able to bounce forward. We don't want to be the egg. We don't want to break. So how do you reach men? You know they are. It's. It's that, you know, the toxic masculinity. There's a reason that seven out of 10 people who die by suicide in the U.S., civilians and otherwise, 
are men and because we're men <laughs> we, we don't need help or take advice we have bootstraps for that how do you how do you uh how do you uh, navigate that are you speaking in terms of the army or in terms of collegiate athletes i would say the army how do you because you know the army again it's, it's like uh, uh i actually spoke to a marine after I, I did a keynote one evening and he told me he, he finally began taking medication, but for a number of years, he his mindset was, "I'm a marine. My my job is to get you know <laughs> over through around somehow past this, you know, by myself." And then finally, mm-hmm. fortunately, uh, decided. I think his wife said, "Look, you need to see the doctor and get something." So how do you, especially in a hyper male, oftentimes hyper male um, scenario like that, how do you how do you get to the to the to the men? Well, it's, it's, it's funny because so when I teach resiliency to the army, I teach the army's resiliency and the army's resiliency is is a lot harder to break that mold in men because it's geared towards the army. Um, but first of all, they have to be receptive. Uh, they have to be open. And it's so funny because I'll sit down to teach army resiliency and uh, I will see the eyes they are all just looking at me like, I don't want to be here. Get this over as quickly <laughs> as possible. Because I am man. Hear me roar. I'm going to go do other things. And the great part about it is usually by the end of an MRT class, uh, at least one to two, um, I'd say out of 15, at least one to two uh, come up to me afterwards and, and want to talk more. And so even the ones that come in and aren't receptive uh, because generally none of them are. (laughs) So at least some of them by the end of it become a little receptive because it starts to make sense and they think, wow, this could really help me. Whereas some of them, even if they think, wow, this could really help me, they don't want to show it. And so they'll come to me even after like on the side. So nobody can see and say, Hey, Sergeant McKinney. Uh, so about resiliency, come to my classroom and sit down. <laughs> well, and by the way, I, think I do the same thing. I, I do a little general Q and a for the audience for civilians. I'm speaking on college campus. I spoke last night. I'll speak again tonight. And I tell the audience, we'll do a little Q and a generally. And then, even in the civilian world, there are men and women who don't want to raise their hand in a group. And, you know, and so last night I had, I think, eight people lined up after everybody else left. And I, you know, we talked one at a time, uh, you know, quietly and individually to address whatever mm-hmm. concerns they had. So good on you for taking the time to, you know, to, uh, to do that. Go yeah. one-on-one. Do you think yeah, that the sports aspect of it that you bring up golf um, helps sort of <laughs> maybe make them think, well, maybe there is something valid to this because there's a sport aspect to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what's funny is um, one of the guests I'm going to have on my show later on, he's a lieutenant colonel uh, who was in the special forces and he competitively shoots. And one of the ways he learned how to competitively shoot was through golf techniques. And so I really think that sports in general is because most everybody likes sports in some way, shape or form. Um, And then golf is kind of that just open forum sport where most everybody's at least tried it. And the ones that haven't has still heard the terms like par and bogey and they can kind of catch on. And then actually when I give my, my class to collegiate athletes, I'm, I, my, my goal is, to have them understand everything I'm saying. And so I kind of 
center it a little bit around golf just to kind of mold it so they can understand because just about everybody that I talk to at least understands golf. But I don't actually hone in too much on golf itself. Uh, like I used to be the golf ball, not the egg. And I'll say if you're standing on the tee box and you want to get to the green and I'll use little analogies like that. But other than that, I try to stay away from, you know, just honing in around golf and I try to keep it open uh, to. And, and we also talk about football. We talk about um, I could be talking to the softball team and they'll start talking about, uh, you know, adaptive athletes and adaptive athlete. I'm going to be talking to Alabama's adaptive athletes. Um, they're adaptive athlete basketball and their adaptive athlete tennis team. I'm really, really excited to talk to those individuals because that is just resiliency. The word like that takes resiliency to another level. Um, these athletes who are in wheelchairs and we're told, you know, they're, they may never walk again. And instead of getting down on themselves, now they take what could have been something really bad. And now they're playing basketball and they're playing tennis. And I think that is so awesome. And a lot of times you see that in the army as well. The only unfortunate part about that is a lot of times you don't see it in the army. And I think that's life in general. Some people just take things differently than others. And the ones that have problems taking bad news, or maybe you lose your the feeling in your legs or something that's the people i want to talk to and that i want to talk right. to resiliency about and say hey look you know resiliency is being the golf ball not the egg of course there's a lot more to it but those are the people that i really want to reach out to what would you say uh, to you know in terms of your audience is it more men than women or is it becoming more equal what is, what's the ratio for you so it's actually, I would say right now, pretty equal, um, just because when I first started this, I started with the University of Alabama's Ranger Challenge team, and that was basically all males. Um, and then my one of my next places is going to be the University of Alabama Birmingham women's track and field team. And they're, of course, all female. So I really and honestly, I haven't given enough. Um, I haven't been able to do enough uh, workshops yet to gauge whether it's going to be more male or more female. I've just done a few uh, and I have a few more lined up and I'm so excited, but I really, I can't give you an honest answer on that one yet. Okay. Just curious. Quest, question. Um, the when I speak, because I have a major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality and I have come close enough to killing myself, I know what the barrel of my gun tastes like. When I, when the students I'm speaking to or the civilians I'm speaking to learn that, it gives me a certain credibility that, that a clinician, say, who just has a technical knowledge of those things doesn't have. Do you find that your experience and, and the fact that you are living with PTSD successfully gives you, um, you know, credibility with your audiences? I do. I really think it does. Uh, more so with the civilian side and the collegiate athletes, obviously, because in the Army, um, PTSD is so widely known and talked about. Uh, but with the collegiate athletes, they're still fairly young, and a lot of them have never seen an actual soldier before, which I've been in the Army my entire adult life. I joined the Army. I turned 18 in basic training, actually, so it's all I know. <laughs> and I felt I'm 36 <laughs> now. And so I felt I, I just thought everybody knew army. And then uh, when I realized <laughs> not everybody sees soldiers on a daily basis, I was like, no, wow. Right. <laughs> and so, and 
I think it does. And they really um, resonate with that. And so I was talking to the head sports psychologist at the University of Alabama. And I was saying, like, I'm so like intimidated. I'm just now about to get my bachelor's degree and we're about to have a meeting and I'm talking to PhDs and I'm talking to professors. And she's like, don't be, we're actually the ones intimidated. I'm like, what? She says, well, you're the one that's been to combat. Like you have all this experience. All we can do is talk about it. You're living resiliency. And that really helped me a lot. Um, in terms of being able to talk to people and in terms of not feeling intimidated, uh, just knowing that really helped me. And I think that it does, to answer your question, I think it does open students up to to listen to me more, knowing that I, too, am struggling with um, PTSD or that they're not the only ones struggling with some type of uh, mental disorder or mental illness and that we can all I have to throw this plug in there, be resilient and work towards a better life. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you you get your college gigs? (laughs) So that actually started with the Ranger Challenge team at the University of Alabama. I said uh, I was talking to my um, resiliency mentor, um, actually, the the woman who taught me resiliency. Her name's Sarah. She is my resiliency mentor in every way. And I said, gosh, you know, I really want to teach resiliency Uh, at a collegiate level, I think, you know, these young athletes could really use it. I just don't know how to start. And it turns out, so my brother went to the University of Alabama and he graduated there through ROTC scholarship. And that gave me an idea. I said, why don't I call Alabama? So I did. I called Alabama ROTC and they said, we'd love to have you. And that kind of got me and got the ball rolling. Um, When I taught, uh, when I teach to Alabama ROTC, I have to teach the Army's resiliency. But that got the ball rolling with um, getting me in touch with other people at the university and allowing me to teach my personal resiliency. Let me ask you this then, Christopher, when you go and you do a talk like this, is it more like a workshop or is it where you're doing a talk and, you know, in front of an audience? So it is a workshop. Which When I teach my resiliency workshop, it is literally just that a workshop. Um, it's not just me standing up and saying, hey, this is how to be resilient. It is a workshop that uh, includes the students. We do practical exercises. We do talk throughs. Um, I tell them how to incorporate the uh, all the pillars. I call it, I have the five pillars of resiliency, which spell the acronym go win. And after each pillar, we do an exercise and we learn how to use that in real life because Everything I teach, uh, it sounds easy on paper. So I teach ways we can do things on paper to write it down. And then we go through an exercise in real life where if we don't have paper and pen around, how do we do this mentally? Well, you can you can do workshops on campus as well, uh, Christopher. It doesn't have to be just a keynote. Oh, that would be great. That would definitely expand me out of the southeast <laughs> region. Yeah, besides Roll Tide. Uh, you know, I'm from Prattville, Alabama, and so I will, for my entire life, be yelling those two wonderful words. <laughs> yes, I, <know. laughs> I try. I do. I generally do not like to uh, bring up my favorite sports teams just because I don't want to uh, push anybody away. But I, when I am confronted <laughs> with those two words, I will not deny them. I shouldn't mention Clemson, I guess. It's, uh... Please, let's let's not. We can continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Christopher, tell our listeners where they can hear your podcast and where they can, you know, find out more about you. Oh, so I'm on all the major platforms. I'm on iTunes and Spotify. And my website is really simple to remember, closertothehole.com. That's certainly easy. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank and you. Frank, of course, thank you for co-hosting with me. Sure. Pleasure. <laughs> and thank you, listeners, for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.